And if you want to make a change, which is what most people want to do when the new year comes, why let the calendar dictate when you change? I think the most empowering, motivating decision that you can make right now is to not wait till 2017 and say, screw you, calendar. I'm going to start right now today. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 34 of the YT. Hey, I am Jess. I'm your host, and I'm here today with Beej. Hey, Beej. Hello, yogis. And we are here with our monthly show, Ask the YTs, where we, Beej and Jess, and sometimes Clark, answer your questions, things that are lingering in your mind, subjects and topics that you want more information on and clarity. So let's quiet down your minds and see what we can bring to you today. We're coming to you from our tiny home in Carlsbad, California. Now, it's not a tiny house on wheels. Tiny houses on wheels are not legal here yet in Carlsbad. Actually, they're only legal in two cities in California. One is Fresno and one is Ojai. Both of those towns are inland. And what did we find out, Beach? We want to be as close as possible to the ocean. Yeah, we just cannot, we are not willing to sacrifice living away from the ocean. So what happened was this perfect 450 square foot studio fell into our laps effortlessly after doing lots of due diligence, lots of detachment, lots of patience and trust that our home would find us. And it did, and it invited us in. And within two days, we were moved in. We are a block and a half from the beach. We are a block from the awesome Carlsbad Village. And we are living tiny as a couple and a family, if you want to include Clark in that. Of course we include Clark. And so there was a bit of an expansion coming out of a Honda Fit, but we're super happy to be here. And we are acquiring a few things, which really left me in paralysis as I sat outside the Crate and Barrel outlet store, not being able to get out of the car because I was so fearful about acquiring things. And then I realized that... I've been using plates and bowls and towels. They've just been other people's plates and bowls and towels. And that there are a few necessities that we need and that you can go to the extreme and even have fear and suffocation there. So I walked in, I got a couple things, like we've got two coffee mugs and we've got um, two towels and we've, we've basically got two of a lot of things. So I think we're done acquiring. We're going to put up a few of the wall hangings that we have, and then we'll be doing a tour to invite all you guys into our awesome little tiny home. So the tiny house thing is happening right now. We're living tiny, and I have to tell you, it feels so right. We absolutely love it. So we're very, very grateful. If we continue to just let go, you guys, keep the vision alive, like the vision of what we love and what we see for our lives, but we detach from it, the most important thing is detachment. It will fall into place. You will find that you're always exactly where you're supposed to be. You'll start to see that more and more. And when it falls together, it's better than you could ever imagine. Like I didn't realize that we were going to have a studio with like 13 foot ceilings. Like this place is amazing. In a fireplace. In a fireplace. That wasn't in the vision. And so now we have these awesome things and we have a little outdoor space, which I'm going to make into a little sanctuary. So anyway, let's get on with the show today. Uh, we're really excited to be coming to you this month in December as we move into 2017. And I've been seeing a lot of things on Facebook like 2017 is going to be better than 2016. I can't wait for 2016 to be over. 
And I just want to say that, number one, never rush your life. Because you never, you never know if you have a tomorrow. You never know if you have a next hour. So never rush your life. And number two, if you think because the calendar is going to change that life's going to be different, you're crazy because life is going to keep coming at you. It's how you relate to life that is going to determine whether your 2017 is better than your 2016. So maybe it wasn't your 2016 that was so bad. Maybe there was room for opportunity of growth in the way that you related to 2016. And if you want to make a change, which is what most people want to do when the new year comes, why let the calendar dictate when you change? I think the most empowering, motivating decision that you can make right now is to not wait till 2017 and say, screw you calendar. I'm going to start right now today. And I say that I've said that in the past, like, why do you need to wait to the new year to make changes? So ditch the calendar and start today, whatever it is that you want to change in your life. And you just made me think about the meaty vegan, Eric Lindstrom, who uh, we published just a few episodes ago. I can't remember exactly which one it is, but I'll put a link in the show notes. And his whole thing was that his wife challenged him to a vegan challenge and he started the night before. And if anybody listened to that, then you know that this guy used to eat steak so red it was blue. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. And five years later, they're about to hit their fifth anniversary on this. They are all vegan and they have vegan babies in the house. And he's about to publish an amazing book called The Skeptical Vegan, where he tells you his, not only his journey, but like how to eat vegan at fat, you know, at fast food restaurants. Not that I'm a huge proponent of that, but I love Eric so much um, that I'm just absolutely want to honor his book and um, we'll be, we'll be helping him push it for sure. But I bet it's on pre-sale order now. We'll check that out. So anyway, BJ is always a big one on that. Like, don't wait till Monday. You know, we always kind of joke around like, oh, it's, it's tomorrow's Monday. Like my whole life's got to change. And I understand some people, you know, need that, like that deadline. But why does that deadline have to be in the future? Because the single most important thing to know about change is that the only place it's available is right now in the present moment. That's it. It's not available on Monday unless you're in Monday and you're making that change in the moment. It's not available in the future. It's not available in 2017. The only change, the only change you can make, you guys, is right now. How are you going to relate to the moment? How are you going to relate to that meal in front of you or that workout that you have or even the yoga class? Like watch the yoga class stuff. Sometimes we think we go to yoga, you know, where where, um, you know, we're going there to de-stress and all of these things, but watch your attachment to yoga. Like what if you showed up to the yoga place and it was closed and you didn't know it? Like, oh my God, I can't have my yoga now. Right. But only in that moment, can you change your relationship to what's happening? And for those that continually use January 1st, New Year's Day as the time to change, think about why you're constantly having to change on January 1st. <laughs> <laughs> something didn't stick when you started because you're going to go after the goal again on January 1st. So throw that out. I just throw it out and start today, start tomorrow, start, start January 2nd. Start right now. Start right now. Yeah. Let's just yeah. start right now. All right. I, let's get started. All right, we got to get started let's with the start questions. Right now. So, so think, Oh, go ahead. We, well, I was just going to say in, in my, um, <laughs> in my pursuit to not have to control everything, Bujay will be reading the questions today. So why don't you just me, go for me. it, Paige? So thank you to everyone who submitted their questions and comments, whether through email, Facebook, 
Instagram, Twitter, all of it. And and continually send us questions because we'll build these up and we'll answer them throughout the month. We can we can save it up for the next Ask the YT. So just thank you everyone for, for sending those in. Let's get started. So first question comes from Joseph, who I knew when we were back in Boulder. Hey, Joseph. Good to hear from you, man. So he poses this question. Love it, ladies and gents. I was wondering if you could give advice about how, as a guy approaching middle age, which I think yeah, it's pretty relevant. I think we can I think we can speak to that in decent shape, mostly through Baptiste Power Yoga. Love it. Can ease into training as a triathlete. Is it too late? Should I change my diet? What if I've been diagnosed with high blood pressure? And what about nagging injuries that haven't healed one hundred percent? Love these questions because he is like so many people. We were actually just talking to the yoga instructor at the class we went to yesterday and she was saying her husband wants to get into it, but she said he's a mess, which I immediately was like, well, that's not a very yogi thing to say. (laughs) But then I watched my judgment and I made a change in that moment. So yeah, you're not unlike a lot of people, Joseph. So let's dive into this. Yeah. So let's start with yoga. Like what as a middle-aged person... So he's in decent shape. So he's he's actually going to yoga. It's hot, right? Baptiste Yoga. Let's give a, a explanation to people. What's Baptiste Yoga? Yeah, Baptiste Power Yoga is going to be, I think it's almost always heated. It's going to be a power flow. So if anybody's been to my class, it's going to be very similar to that. It's a little bit more structured in the actual flow. It's pretty quick. So you're getting a good cardio workout for sure. So, and there's not, what my experience with Baptiste is one of the, big, big principles that Live, Love, Teach, who I'm trained through, believes in, and this came really from Baptiste Power Yoga, is minimum relevant words. So if he is practicing a true Baptiste, if that teacher is kind of following that idea of minimum relevant words, and I think Baron uses a little bit different language around that, then he's getting space and he's getting silence in his class. And that is that is so huge for a triathlete to be able to sit by themselves in a challenging pose um, and be with their thoughts. And this, and this is how we start to notice the tendencies of our mind. So this, he's already like way above the, the grade here being a power yogi, I think. And in my experience from the yoga to triathlon, it's been the breathing. And so you talked about the poses and being in the pose for a long time and being quiet with yourself. But what about the breathing? So the breathing I found really translated well to yoga. I mean, to triathlon. Yeah, and the and the, the live, love, teach philosophy, I think is a little stronger on the breathing. And um, so the way that I teach is very breath focused and it is huge for triathletes. So any kind of breathing exercises, we've got on our blog, pre-race pranayama, three breath exercises that, that we recommend before a race. And to be in touch with your breath, you guys, to be really familiar with it, to be able to manipulate your own awareness, to be 100% focused on your breath is your path to present moment awareness. And present moment awareness is your gateway to the flow state. And as an athlete, that is where the work falls away and you're completely engaged in what you're doing. And this is where amazing things happen. So Joseph's got um, a great entryway into triathlon because he's practicing this yoga. So I think the next question... Is it too late? 
Heck no, no, dude. It's never too late. It is absolutely never too late. You know, you're bringing this question to us. We're like, sign up. What's the race? Let's do it. Yeah. And <laughs> For sure. And obviously, it's not too late. No way. Never too late for anything. But a coach can definitely help. So if you're if you're looking for that entry, you know, a great way is to sign up with a coach or get some guidance from a peer to, to, to step you along the way because there's a lot of information out there. A well, lot. I, th- I think because of the other questions that he poses here that my number one recommendation would be to get a coach because you're going to want somebody who can help you with your, your nutrition, help you with what you're going to, what's best for you to eat prior to a workout, after a workout to recover, right? Recovery is like everything to being able to be successful as a triathlete, especially if you're a newbie and you're conditioning your body to do things it's never done before. And then also with the health quote unquote concern, I hate to use fear-based words, um, this will be really important in the injuries to have an objective voice looking at what you're doing and getting feedback from you, this voice is going to be like ego less. It's going to help you say, all right, you need a day off, which is a lot harder to do when you're navigating this sport alone. So what about the diet? So he talks about changing the diet. So we don't know what his current diet is. I do know from previous interactions that he has been uh, inquiring about the plant-based diet and, Ooh, and the benefits curious. of that. So very plant curious. I so love plant curiosity. Should I change my diet? So what are your thoughts on that? Well, the fact that he's been diagnosed with high blood pressure tells me that mm, maybe some things in his diet are not for his greatest good. If it's a diet that is inclusive of animal products which have been scientifically proven to drive your high to drive your blood pressure up high then i would say let's start removing those animal products and you know one small change in a moment at a time maybe it's not maybe the change is just adding in more green maybe it's just starting to crowd out the animals the high blood pressure, you know, I believe it Dr. Neil Barnard, who we just had on the show, this is an excellent podcast for him to listen to about plant-based nutrition if he hasn't already. And one of the things that he said, which is something I say all the time, so I'm glad it was validated by a doctor of his stature, was that, you know, this high blood pressure and high cholesterol and heart disease, they're kind of optional. And they're heavily related to your diet. So because the high blood pressure is showing up, that's a huge gift because there's a great reason in your pocket to go ahead and start crowding out that plate because plant-based diet has been shown to prevent it. Reduce it dramatically. Yeah. I mean, stop it and, and reverse it and reverse it. We There have been studies where they take vegans and they start feeding them or vegetarians or whatever and they start feeding them like animal products and they see almost immediately that their blood pressure goes up so there's a lot of research behind it and i guess my question would be you know does the diet that you're eating now does it leave you feeling energetic all the time do you feel great after you eat do you feel energized or do you feel like oh my god i need a nap you know, it, is it beautiful? Is your plate colorful? Um, these would be questions I would start looking at. But again, I would want to look at what he's eating now 
and ask him how he feels. But the high blood pressure is kind of an indication that a change towards a plant-based diet away from processed foods, so whole foods plant-based diet, would really be in his benefit because I firmly believe that high blood pressure is completely optional. I have a family history of high blood pressure. Everyone has high blood pressure, like, or they used to. My mother doesn't have it any ever doesn't have it anymore because she switched to a plant-based diet. After 30 years of being on high blood pressure medication, she's not anymore. But everybody else does. But that genetics means nothing to me because I had my blood pressure taken the other day at the chiropractor and it's 110 over 60. That's pretty rock solid. I think it's pretty rock solid. <laughs> All right. What do you have to say? Well, I'm, I'm seeing here three things is changing the diet, uh, his high blood pressure and nagging injuries are all... Yes, I, I say definitely a plant-based diet, it seems, would sort of take care of all these things. And having the last one, the nagging injuries, a plant-based diet is anti-inflammatory. So it really moves you away from potential overuse. As a triathlete, you're going to have, you're going to be creating inflammation in your body every right. day. So you want to clear that stuff out. So having those nagging injuries is also... Uh, a sign that maybe you're not strong enough in certain areas. So strength training is something else that we can help with. But, you know, where are these nagging injuries? Is it nagging because there's inflammation in your body and you can't get it out? Is it nagging because you're you're sitting down all day? Is it a back injury? You're spending time in, in one single pose? Yeah. And the um, the other thing is also I'd like to know if he's seeing like a massage therapist or acupuncturist because all of that stuff really helps. And so you can look at this and say, oh my God, now I'm going to take on three sports and an acupuncturist and a massage therapist and I got to change my diet and blah, blah, blah. But remember, change only happens in the moment, you guys. All you have to do is go one moment to the next. And if you start taking life that way, it's not so overwhelming. And going into my 12th year as a triathlete, I can speak to the lifestyle. We've never been rich and um, somehow we're making it work and we're eating a plant-based diet and I see a chiropractor and I see an acupuncturist and I see a massage therapist, not a ton. I used to do it a ton in the past, but I believe that the meditation has really purified a lot in my body that allows me to be strong, but strength is huge. So again, going back to really considering working with a coach to have that person, that non-judgmental person to lean on, to really look for, for advice and guidance, somebody experienced in the sport, also with injury, um, could be really, really helpful and um, important to your success getting into this sport. So do you think so we, we answered that? Yeah, we love it, Joseph. Please come out and get on that triathlon train. Yeah, get on the triathlon train. All right, let's move on. So next question comes from Raina. She is a dear friend of ours from Newport, Rhode she Island. She is a dear friend. <laughs> we miss you, Raina. So Raina wants to know what the best learning tool for meditation is. And we get this question quite often, um, more so when we're, when we're in discussion with people after yoga and they, they just are, in, are curious about it. And we, we give them two recommendations or at least... Uh, ones that we know of, um, if they want to use an app, they can use Calm or they can use Headspace. And I think Headspace is the more popular one or the one I've seen more often. And it gives you an entryway into meditation by providing a 10-minute session where he talks and, and walks you through a meditation practice. And it's quite simple. And the free app 
comes with the 10 minute meditation, but you can also pay to have one focused on performance, one focused on work. There's different options. So we recommend these two as an entryway to get in there, but also Jess teaches meditation as well. And it's, it's how I really got into it with Jess's guidance, but uh, I'll have her speak to that more. What do you think about meditation? <laughs> Loaded <think> question. <laughs> I think it's the reason why we're on this earth. <laughs> Can you tell me more? Yeah. I'm, when I, when I look at what's the best learning tool for meditation, I mean, we're the best learning tool for meditation. The thing that happens when we come into this world and we get caught up in the worldly ways is that we lose touch with who we truly are. And so however, whatever level this hits you on, just let it hit you, okay? We have everything we need. We have infinite knowledge and intelligence already within us. And so I love the apps. I think they're a great entry point for people. And for some people, that, that's where they're going to stay. For me, I started with 10-minute abundance meditations on YouTube. I mean, I started so basic. But sitting in silent meditation, I usually teach a mantra-based meditation Typically, I find that that's, that's um, a great thing for people who are just starting out. But sitting with yourself without anything external, no earphones in or anything like that, I believe that that is your best learning tool for meditation. So you're not, you're, your senses are going in, they're not going out. And it could be argued that these, these meditation apps do allow you to go in. And I, I do think that to a degree, but there's nothing that's going to be a better teacher than yourself. So that said, you know, yoga, which meditation is just the limb of yoga. So let's clarify that. Yoga is not just the gymnastics that we do in a hot room. Yoga has eight limbs. Meditation is one of those limbs. The one that precedes meditation is concentration, being able to concentrate your mind. So what I love about just meditating with yourself is that there is no external coming in through your ears. It's just you and your thoughts trying to concentrate on the mantra or concentrate on your breath in or your breath out. So it removes another, um, I don't know, distraction, ex exterior uh, input, if you will. So the most important thing is to find what your entry point is, okay? For me, it was 10-minute YouTube meditations. For some people, it's going to be calm or headspace. For other people, especially overachievers, they're going to be like, hey, I want to do that thing. Like, I want to do, like, the one that's going to be the direct route. And, like, for me, I always say that to my teacher. I'm like, I, like, I love being an Ironman because I feel like it fast-tracks me to enlightenment because it requires so much detachment from pain and pleasure and and um, and it requires so much focus and discipline. Like for me, that's that's my driving force to being uh, an Ironman triathlete is because it's fast tracking me to self realization. Make no mistake, people. That's why I'm out there. It used to be ego competition, but it's not that anymore. So it's what is your entry point, and then never limit yourself. Never put an end cap 
on where you are because you never know where it's going to lead. So I started with the 10 minute abundance meditations and, you know, now I am uh, far beyond what I ever thought that I could be functioning at vibrationally. So what you're saying is it start where you're at. So if one breath in the morning, you talk about one breath a lot. Yeah, one if breath. If you wake up and you're still in bed and you just sit there before you put your feet on the ground and you take one conscious breath, that's a start of a meditation, right? Yeah, I mean, and within us, me saying that, you know, we're the best learning, learning tool, the breath, you guys, the breath is it, man. That is the best tool you've got. You're putting your awareness, starting to learn how to direct your own awareness. So most of us go through life with our awareness being directed by our intellect, by our mind, you know, looking at everything, labeling everything. So with meditation, at least how I teach it and, and how, I how I operate my, my yoga classroom too is teaching my students how to direct their own awareness. Like you'll be in charge of it and put it on your breath. And when you find that your mind has taken over and it's brought you somewhere else, bring it back to your breath. And you might, that might be your whole meditation, 10 minutes of just being like, oh my God, I'm not in my breath again. Oh my God, I'm not in my breath again. Oh my God, I'm not in my breath again. You just keep bringing it back, bringing it back, bringing it back, bringing it back. And that's the discipline. It is, it requires an extreme amount of discipline and also non-judgment to not walk away and say, oh my God, that was such a crappy meditation. I remember when I first started, I used to get so pissed. In meditation, I get so pissed. I'd be like, oh, that was so crappy because I tend to be an overachiever. And then I realized that the oh, crappy was my work. To, to walk away from it, like, it doesn't matter if it was good or bad. It just was. And for those overachievers who are like, okay, I did 10 minutes today. I'm going to do 15 minutes tomorrow. Is it more important to start off with, I'm going to do five minutes every day until it feels right? until I'm getting to a, a consistent pattern and then I can go to seven minutes and eight minutes. Would you say that's a better? Yeah, do entry? five minutes a day so for five years, but do five minutes a day. Consistency is day. key. Consistency is everything. It's, right. con it's everything with everything in your life. Look at anything in your life that consistency like wouldn't enhance. I can't find anything that at least in my life, that consistency doesn't enhance the way I eat, the way I train, the way I interact with people, um, living in alignment with my values. It's all consistency. So that's something that meditation teaches you is consistency. And as triathletes out there, you know you get a six-month plan. You're not starting off with a five-hour bike ride in week one. You're probably doing that in week, you know, 25 so you're starting out with an easy ride, you know, 30 minutes. So everything builds on the previous workout, the previous session. So when you're meditating, your athletes, you should be meditating. If you're not, we highly recommend it. My athletes do. You want to be consistent. So set yourself up for success. Just as saying, do five minutes a day. Do five minutes a day for a full year. You want to make a, a New Year's resolution? Meditate five minutes a day for 365 days and see how that works. And may I, in closing of this question, may, Please, I, may yeah. I quote the Bhagavad Gita? We would love for you to quote the Bhagavad Gita, <laughs> and then you need to explain that to people. <laughs> that no effort on this path is a waste. You never lose any effort. It doesn't go away just because it was an oh crap meditation. There is no effort that is a waste ever.
And that can be bringing it back to triathlon. That could be the same as going to the pool and having a shitty workout <laughs> and saying, I'm not going to reach my time come race day. However, if you can take one thing away from that workout, then you're, you've been successful. Everything is worthwhile. Yeah, everything's worthwhile. Right? Isn't that what you're saying with the Bhagavad Gita? Yep. Everything is worthwhile. There is no meditation um, that you're going to do that's not going to count. Okay. So what is the Bhagavad Gita for those that don't know? Uh, the Bhagavad Gita is the cla classic Indian um, tales, Indian spirituality tale. In layman's terms, it's the every man's battle with the mind. And it's a, it's a book that I've read seven or eight times now. And it has a deeper slash different meaning to me every time I read it. So it's one of those ones that you can just read anytime. And now I just pick it up and open it up and I just read and it's always perfect for what I need in that moment. But it is, it's awesome. And um, we recently watched a Hollywood movie that is actually based on the Bhagavad Gita. And so that's a good entry I think that's a good entry point for some people. If they're curious about this book I talk about all the time, watch The Legend of Bagger Vance. Really, really good movie. And I'm Jess hasn't been referencing the book very much because I'm reading it for the first time, finally into it. So chapter seven, yay for me. Yeah, but finally how many times it. did you pick that book up and not finish it? 10, 12 times Like already. years, yeah. years you've been... Yeah, and I been I, like I would put it on your bedside table right. and that hint, never... Hint. Yeah, that never works. And for some reason, you, after two sprained ankles in a month, you um, you picked it up. Yeah, that was my breaking point. Yeah, your gifts. Right. Okay. All right, moving on. Thank you, Raina. So next question comes from Mark, our friend up in Lake Placid. And Golden Retriever Lava. Hi, Mark. We both raced Louisville together this past year. And he also was on the Yogi Triathlete podcast as a recap to that race. So we'll link to that in the show notes. He asks, what's the best source of plant-based recipes we found? And we get this question a lot. People want to know, they just want to cook from a recipe. They want to just dive into this plant-based nutrition lifestyle. But before we get there, let's point out that the resource that we go to the most to find out about plant-based nutrition is nutritionfacts.org with Dr. Greger. It's packed with videos, three to four minute videos that give you an overview of what the research is actually saying. So you don't even have to read it. He goes through these videos. You just type in anything you want, like benefits of broccoli or does cabbage have protein, anything like that. And it, it'll bring up a video. So Jess, what are the best sources that we've found for plant-based recipes? So my favorites for plant-based recipes are, God, I've got so many. I really have so many. Up until we moved, I owned uh, The Plant Power Way by Rich Roll and Julie Pyatt, who I believe prefers to be called Srimati, her spiritual name. So Rich Roll and Srimati have that beautiful plant-based cookbook, The Plant Power Way, and I gifted that to somebody as it did not fit in our car. But Online sources, I love oshiglows.com. She's got beautiful, really, really good recipes. I also love One Green Planet, and they've got a whole section for recipes. It's all vegan. And what I love about them is they, they're going to pull in from a lot of different um, websites. You're going to get a huge variety of chefs and things there. And then the other one that I really like is Post Punk Kitchen, 
I was initially drawn to it because I just love the name of it, Post Punk Kitchen. She's kind of a badass. And I love anyone that's like covered in tattoos and has like super cool hair. So the thing is though, is that her recipes are really, really awesome. So Post Punk Kitchen, she actually has a delicious recipe in her cookbook for coconut French toast, which um, actually don't have her cookbook, but I tried to create myself. And um, I guess speaking of that, we might be having something coming down the line from Yogi Triathlete, but it is a secret project right now. Is it a secret <laughs> project? Probably not because I just announced it, but stay tuned for more information on what will become your most favorite source of plant-based recipes. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah. Oshi Glows, One Green Planet, Post Punk Kitchen. Those are awesome websites. We'll put links in the show notes. Um, and yeah, our number one source for information is nutritionfacts.org. And just to go back to Joseph's question, especially with the high blood pressure, get on there, Joseph, start watching some videos on how plant-based nutrition can really help you reverse that and not only reverse it, but reverse it quick. And let me add one note about plant-based nutrition cooking. You can cook normally, you know, obviously remove the, the meat and dairy, but a great substitute for eggs because eggs are in a lot of things is to use flax meal and water. And if you look at, if you just Google, how can I replace eggs? It'll give you the flax meal and water ratios. And it's, it's, it can turn any recipe into a plant-based recipe. Yeah, it's three tablespoons of water, one tablespoon of flaxseed meal, and then put it in the fridge for 15 minutes, and then it's like an egg, but it's um, it's not an egg. <laughs> Let's just let eggs become what they're supposed to, little chickens, <laughs> and let the flax meal be your quote-unquote egg. All right, moving on. <laughs> Final question. Little chickens. From Brie in Honolulu, Hawaii. Aloha, Brie. Aloha. It could be a destination for the Yogi Triathlete someday. Yeah. Tiny houses are, are welcomed there in Hawaii, and we like that. And plus, we uh, eloped on the island of Kauai, so it has a huge piece of our heart. Love Hawaii. And we're going to be going to Kona soon, right, babe? That's right. Kona 2017. <laughs> Got to put it out there. Manifestation. All right. Brie. So, hey guys, I'm a fellow Ironman and yoga teacher. Oh, speaking our language She's already. She's a yogi triathlete. And really love what you have made with YT. I've been following along since I raced Placid in 2015. It's been fun to keep up with your journey, and I've really enjoyed the podcast. Keep it coming. We will. I'd love to hear more about the physical practice of yoga during peak triathlon training. For me, yoga happens anywhere in life. Not only asanas, but during peak weeks, I find myself really struggling to make lunch. Never mind keep up with yoga. Maybe this is a topic you've covered at length in the past. I mean, you are a yogi triathlete. Yeah, we are. But I'm always on the lookout for expanding my mind when it comes to yoga and triathlon. So just an idea. Thanks and look forward to hearing more from you. So Bree, let's talk about the first thing. She asks about the physical practice of yoga during peak triathlon training. So peak is considered the pat, the light, last six to eight weeks of your training. You've probably been building up for you know anywhere from four to six months, maybe longer. But those last four to six weeks, you're in the peak of your training. You're, you're putting out harder workouts, higher intensity, 
and really dialing into your race pace speed. So how do you combine that with a yoga practice that hopefully you've been maintaining throughout the whole triathlon training program? What I've done in the past, and it's really become a staple in my training, is I've started to reduce or leave out an extra workout during the week. So if I have five runs, five bikes, and five swims, I'll throw out one or two workouts and replace that with yoga. And I know you overachievers out there are freaking out because you're not going to get your extra run in or your extra swim, but doing the yoga is so beneficial to keeping you healthy and balanced and able to perform your best in those remaining four workouts in each discipline. I swear by this. It's totally helped me in the past three years really stay in tune and dialed in with my body and keeping away the nagging injuries and just continuing to set aside that other workout. And if you can let, let it go, the, the main thing is your ego is telling you that you need to do that extra workout. And in reality, you don't, it's just one extra one. So replace that with yoga or as just might uh, allude to is just keep the session shorter, but maintain your consistency with what you've done in the in the lead up. But what do you think, Jess? How do you think yoga, you know, plays into the peak training? You're you're a triathlete, you're a yoga teacher, you've done both, you've maxed out in volume in both. So how do you keep it going? Yeah, I can com- I just can so relate to this. Like when she's like, I can barely make lunch, let alone, you know, go to yoga. And you move into this phase with Ironman training where you sleep eat, work, and train. Your life is reduced to four things. And at least that's my experience. We go into what we call a social coma, which is going to be easy here in Carlsbad because we don't know anyone. So we go into a social coma and my life becomes four things. And within that training is my yoga. And like Brie, and she's so tapped in, man, she's so tapped in because she knows that yoga is not just the gymnastics, that yoga is done everywhere, that in those moments where she's like, oh my God, I don't even know how I'm going to make my lunch today, that that in fact is her yoga, that those moments where you're so exhausted, you don't know if you can do it anymore. The yoga is shifting your awareness to the breath that you're in and just being in the present moment and just doing what you can in that present moment. So she's so tapped in. Um, now let me just speak to my experience during peak triathlon training, and I'm I'm specifically talking about Ironman because anything under Ironman, I can really hold a steady three day a week studio practice. No problem. I tend to be a little bit of a lower volume athlete. So three times a week in the studio is kind of easy. I mean, half Ironman training, I might even be four times a week in the studio. Ironman, I have this vision of three times a week. But like I said earlier in, in another question, you know, you, you set out that goal of like, okay, I'm going to go three times a week, but don't attach to it so much that you feel like you're failing if you don't do it. But consistency is key. So in the times where my training is so intense and life just gets really, really busy, you know, you only have 24 hours in a day and sleep is not something I'm willing to sacrifice because it's so important as a part of our recovery and recovery is huge for being able to do your next workout and the workout after that is that, um, I'll do shorter practices. 
So I'll do a lot. It might be three times a week. It might be one studio practice. So I always keep one studio practice because I love the heat. And I just think the heat is so yummy for my body. Heat brings blood and gets blood flowing. And, and, um, I just love that for, for fatigued muscles. It's just get them all nice and bloody. I'll keep at least one studio practice a week. And maybe those other two are 20 minute practices or 15 minute practices, or I end up doing like three 10 minute practices. So what I love about this question is that it's totally kicking my butt in the direction of something I've been needing to do. I've been talking about a long time with you, BJ is like, I've got to just record these 15, 20 minute practices that I do. So that said, I'll film a 15 or 20 minute practice. So when I think about a good short practice, I think about um, a couple minutes in downward facing dog, let the sensation build and then drop to a child's pose and let that be super yummy for like three minutes and then come back to a downward facing dog, get your like, get your leg up and over, stack your hip, get way, way, way wide open and then come through and drop into like a crescent lunge and really start to dip into the front of your hip flexor. And then from there, I like to add in strength. So this would be like a mini power flow, hands to your heart and go right to like a warrior three and then standing splits because it's oh so good for the Ironman in training. And then I would just like feet together, rise up, take a huge big breath in, go up, 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 and then down and then repeat that on the other side. And then what I would do when you end up back in downward facing dog, and maybe I can re recreate this. I never have an agenda. I'm just kind of going off the cuff right now. When you get back into downward facing dog, I go into a puppy dog, which is a yummy back bend. So go into a puppy dog where you basically are in down dog, but you come to your knees and then you stretch your arms out in front of you. So hips are right over your knees. And then I'd crawl out to a sphinx. And then I would do a yummy shoulder opener for all the swim time in the pool where you take like your arm out 90 degrees to your body and then you roll onto it. So then you've got an opening in your chest. I would do that on the other side and then I would come into a hip opener. I would do like a double pigeon and then I would do, oh, this sounds so yummy. I want to do it right now. And then I would do a legs up the wall, which is the number one like powerhouse restoration triathletes. You guys should be doing this as much as you possibly can. Legs up a wall, legs on a block. And then I'd go into like a three or four minute Shavasana. So maybe I'll see if I can recreate something like that. I never like to go into any kind of script or routine, but um, we'll film something like that and we'll already have it up. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes and you guys can follow it. So thank you, Brie, for bringing that to our attention. It's a great question and it's something that I think is so, so important. I worked with a coach a long time ago and expressed how important yoga was to me. And she said, well, when things get you know, intense during your peak weeks, it's going to have to be the first thing to go. And in that moment, I knew that that wasn't the coach for me. And ever since then, I've just been um, really on a mission to, sh to share the benefits that yoga has for you, even during your peak training. Now, it's so important to, I think, have that consistent practice throughout your training. And even if the times fluctuate, that's fine. Your body's still moving in those opening, lengthening, strengthening 
poses every week on a regular basis. So during peak training, why don't you try this? Why don't you try one studio practice and maybe two? Oh, and she's a yoga teacher. So she can throw together like a 10, 15 minute hour. Yeah, girl. So do like one studio practice and then like two or three minis and see how that works. Just try it out. You're never going to know unless you try it out. Yeah. And that's the whole thing is see how it feels. You were talking about the prescribed, you know, three to three times in the studio, but one week may be, may require you to be in the studio more. You you know, I remember times I was training so hard and I need to go like every other day. I was going like four times a week because I knew the effort that I was putting out. I needed my body to recover and to feel that yoga because if you ditch yoga in that peak season, in that peak period, what if you don't make it to the start line because you're, you're, you're dealing with some issues because you tried to put all this training in and you ditched your yoga. Like it's so beneficial to keeping you. <laughs> Sounds like you're speaking from experience, honey. Firsthand experience. Continue the yoga. <laughs> yeah. I also want to just speak real quick to the ego. During peak triathlon, you're physically exhausted, right? Which is the whole point of it. You just got to keep piling on the load. Riding the edge of health and, you know, lack of health is really what you're doing. You're really, really pushing your body hard to be able to do this race. And it's in those moments where we're so exhausted that the ego can really, really be thriving. It can beat you up and saying like, oh, your numbers are bad. It can like come in the back door that way. Or it comes in and it's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm the best. Like I just nailed that workout. You know, again, watch the labeling. A workout is a workout. It's just neutral, you guys. It's just truth until you start putting all these labels on it. So the ego can be like really like thriving during that time, I think. And one of the, the best challenges I love for my ego is to go to a yoga class and let's say it's like a power, you know, vinyasa class or something like that and taking it really easy. Just using it as a lengthening and opening type of practice as opposed to like a real power practice. So the way that I translate it is like, I'm doing like a, a power modification class. Taking which, a knee. Yeah, which, right? we, yeah, taking a knee, <laughs> exactly. Taking, taking one for the spiritual team to really give the ego a challenge there and remind it that um, who I truly am is in charge. So I love that challenge as well. So for the overachievers out there, when you think you're an awful triathlete or you think you're the best triathlete, go to a yoga class, go in the front row where everyone can see you because you're going to think that everyone's looking at you and they're not, but let's just say, and take it really easy and see the tendencies of your mind and see if you are okay with that. That is incredible mind training right there. It's incredibly challenging, right? All these eight type A triathletes, they, they go out there and they try to do yeah. these hard track workouts and bike workouts. Well, go to the front of the yoga room and take it easy. Take it easy <laughs> in a power class. There's a challenge, which for I you. love. Power yogis because they're totally my people. They're you know they're type A. Right. They love the heat. They love the workout. And and yoga out here in California has been different than what we're used to. And um, and I see that part of me coming up. And I realize that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And that's my practice. And who knows what will happen with the yoga scene here in Carlsbad? That's up for. Yeah, too. let's get we'll see. let's get secret project number one done first. <laughs> so, do you think we answered that question? I think we did. I think 
I think these are great questions and everyone, thank you so much for sending these in. And if we didn't answer it or you have further, you need further details on, on that we didn't answer, please reach out to us on social media or, or send us an email and we'd be happy to help uh, answer it and continue these questions coming along. You know, we, we love this. This is what we're here for. We're here to engage with our community and, and share some wisdom and insight into what has worked, what hasn't worked for us in our travels. And we're just getting off the road, a six month trip that has opened up so many experiences and emotions and thought patterns. And we're finally settling in and would love to share all of it, some of it. So please keep the questions coming. Please continue to listen to the Yogi Triathlete podcast. And thank you so much, everyone, for being a part of our tribe. Yeah, man. I think you said it. Ride the high vibe, you guys. So much love and light and strength for your season to come. Good? Yeah. Cracky's over here. It's good.